started on yet. Go on. What your faith's built on yet? Cross, come on. Help Dawn out a bit. Come on. Interactive this morning. Keep you awake. Bank holiday weekend. The word, yeah? <laughs> Promises of God. Yeah? Dawn's determined to get them all. Full set. Anybody else? God valuing his word above his own throne. It's filled it with his integrity and his own faith. Yeah, what we're talking about is how to... Um, exercise faith that outlasts circumstances. Because most of the time, uh, it's not that we don't have faith, it's that when um, we don't see an immediate change in circumstances, we, we, we give up or we dig up our faith. So we plant our faith and, when we, di- and we dig it up. And what we want to become and what, what, what Jesus wants us to become is people whose faith outlasts the circumstances to see change in those circumstances. Faith that goes through the ups and downs. Faith that um, stands whatever is happening in our life. And one of the, one of the problems is that it, it's so easy to be a people where we connect to God when things are going great, but we don't when things are, are going against what we would hope for. And we, we need to be people whose faith outlasts. Because God says whatever we're going through, he's working in it to change it for our good. You know, remember Joseph, where at the end of Joseph's life, he said, they intended it for evil, but God brought about good. God, God made good out of it. And so that's, that's what God does. He turns evil for good. You can't avoid difficult times in life. You can't avoid problems. You can't avoid ups and downs. Because we live in a fallen world full of fallen people. We make our own messes and this world is sick and dying as a result of sin that's in it. And so you can't avoid things being difficult or hard at times. But what you can do is you can go through and see them change. You can have some victories. And we're meant to be believers who have some victories, aren't we? Yeah. We want to be, be known for victories, not for the, the circumstances just beat me down all the time and I, I just that was it. We want to be people who have a testimony that comes out of our tests. Because if we aren't, the enemy who sends those tests and puts those tests in our lives will be winning. And we don't want him winning, we want him losing, don't we? Yeah? yeah? Amen. I'm, I'm going to try and keep you awake this morning. So loud shouting, cheering, that sort of thing is okay this morning. It's bank holiday after all, all right? Right. So last week we, we, I started like um, two parts that are going together called What Faith Rests On. You see, faith rests. Faith doesn't struggle and doesn't battle and faith is not something you, you, you like summon up to make something happen. That's not how faith works. Faith rests. It rests on things that are firm foundations. You know, in, in Hebrews, the, the, the only place that a new covenant believer is told to strive, he's told to strive to enter the rest. What's the rest? The rest is relying on the finished work of Christ. And so we want, to be, we want to learn what faith rests on. And as I said last week, we have a God who is a, a God of abundance. 
So he doesn't just give us like, that's how it works, that's your one thing, that's the way it goes. He gives us lots of different ways of looking at it, different perspectives of, of how faith rests. And, and I, I got through three of them last week. So faith rests on the word. Yeah, got that one. Faith rests on the cross, the finished work of the cross, the complete salvation, the sozo. The, the, the salvation that we have isn't just about being forgiven of our sins and getting to heaven one day and, and, and sort of soldiering on through life. The salvation that we've been given is a complete thing. It's a, you know, 2 Peter says this, and I said that last, I said it last week, but I'll challenge you with it again. You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Say that. I have been given, been given. Everything, everything I need for life and godliness. So what's your problem? What's your problem? What is the problem that we have? Because the salvation we have isn't just about forgiveness of sins. It's not just about eternal life. It's about being made whole, prospering, being protected, being looked over with God, being given new life, being um, delivered from our enemies. And ultimately, it's about Jesus coming back again. It, the, the salvation that Jesus paid for is more than just the forgiveness of your sins, all that's included. It's, it's a complete package. And Jesus said this, didn't he? He said, it's, it is finished. And by it is finished, he means it's completely complete and perfectly perfect. We, we looked at that last week. That means that Jesus has done everything he's going to do. There wasn't anything missed out and there's nothing more for him to do. Now, it's down to us to live in the light of what he's done. Now, what Jesus has done at the cross, what he did through his life, his death and his resurrection, is called grace. And because it was all done and paid for 2,000 years ago, there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get it. You weren't there 2,000 years ago. Some of, some of us are maybe a little bit older than others, but we're not 2,000 years ago. So we can't affect it. That's why it's free to us. It's a gift. We can't buy it. The Bible calls it an inheritance. And the only thing you can do with an inheritance is you can leave it on the table or take it off the table. That's how grace works. But grace isn't the whole of the story. Faith is the other part of it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So it's grace received through faith. So it's faith that we're looking at right now. So faith rests on the word, it rests on the finished work of the cross, and it rests on the promises of God. It rests on the promises of God, and God keeps his promises. So all of that is where we got to last week. So, Here's, here's a fourth thing that I believe is important to developing faith that outlasts. How many want faith that outlasts? How many are going through something right at the moment you wish you weren't going through? Or dealing with some people you wish you weren't dealing with? Or dealing with a relationship issue you wish you didn't have? Put your hand up if you're in that category. Yeah? Here's, here's something I want you to know. We all have issues. Just have a look at the person next to you and just tell them you've got issues. Because <laughs> we all have issues. Why do we all have issues? 
Because we aren't in heaven yet. We're not the finished product. God's working away on us, and we're not where we were, but we're not where we finish either. We all have issues. And because we all have issues, there's something remarkable that happens. Because you were created to be you, there's something remarkable that happens. You're you and not somebody else. And because you're different, that has a lot of potential for us to get along or not get along. Do you agree? You know, and we could go like, oh, we could go all religious at this moment, go, iron sharpens irons, brother. So hang around with the sharpening people, the, the ones you don't like. You know, all that sort of stuff. It, it, it's, I'm not going to do that. It's not actually right. That, that, you know, you, we naturally hang around people that we get on with. That's normal. And, you know, to... Is it? Right, okay. You, can, you two can sort that out at home later. <laughs> but here's the thing. Faith comes by association and assimilation. I'm, go, I'm going for long words this morning. Faith comes by association and assimilation. What I mean by that is that your faith, the, your level of trust in God gets affected by the people you hang around with. So we want to hang, we, if we want to be outlasters, we want to hang around with the right sort of people. Now, what that means is this, and I, I, I sometimes get a little bit flat for saying things like this, but as you know, I'll say it anyway. Not every believer walks in faith. Many, many believers walk according to their flesh. They're carnal Christians. They're saved, but they're walking with their natural mind, with their normal understanding, with the natural way of seeing things, and they carry on doing life like that. And more, more to the point, they carry on doing church like that. And then they turn around and, and criticize people like me because I say, well, actually, we're meant to do something a bit more than that. This is a supernatural gospel with supernatural people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who have wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit inside them, and surely we should be seeing something more than the average business can achieve. Yeah. And so we, we, we want to be faith people. Now, to be faith people, you need to hear faith people talk, and you need to be around faith people, because non-faith people will tell you it doesn't work. Why? Because it doesn't work for them because they're not faith people. Here's the point of, of, of faith. If you believe it, you receive it. If you don't, you won't. If, you, if you're not walking in faith, you won't see any of it. Well, brother, I don't believe God heals these days. Well, come to faith life. You'll see him heal people. Well, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's God. Well, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see it if you don't believe it. And so, in a sense, you want to be around people that encourage you, that build you up. Turn with me uh, to, where should we go? Proverbs, oh, where should I go for it? Proverbs 12. Turn with me to Proverbs 12 and uh, verse 26. Proverbs is wisdom. It's, it's in the bit of the Bible, it's all about wisdom literature. That means it's to improve 
your mind. It's to change the way you think. It's to point out things that are really obvious and get you to do them. So here's this one. The righteous should choose their friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Here's what we often do. We often choose our friends according to um, whether they want to be our friends. There's lots of people who would want to be your friends because there's lots of people who want to be our friends for what they can get from us. It's not a good basis. What you've got to do is choose your friends wisely. You, you want people around you who will build you up, who will encourage you and will draw out the power of the Spirit and the truth of the Word from you so that it becomes real in your life. That's the sort of friends you need around. Now, it's not that we unfriend people. You know, that, that's cruel on Facebook. You know, unfriending people, it's cruel to find out you're not on their list anymore so they can bother you on Facebook, isn't it? It's like cruel. But it's not that we unfriend people. It's just we're wise and make positive choices about who we do friend. And we, where, where there is people around us that connect and build us up and draw God out of us, we, we invest in that. We put more of our time there. That's just wisdom, according to, according to Proverbs. Go to uh, Proverbs chapter 22. Verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go. I, I'm, I might be mistaken, but I just think people have got a whole lot more angry these days. Oh, yeah. They just complain and moan and have a go at everything, criticize everything, fire off at everything. What do you do? You avoid those people. Um, Paul, in, in, in the New Testament, tells you to flee from such as these. You don't want to be around people that are blowing off at you all the time and are blowing off at everything. Because from a kingdom perspective, the kingdom is a positive kingdom. It's not a negative kingdom. You know, while we might not agree with uh, a particular idea or a doctrine or whatever, we never blow off individuals. You, do, you don't criticize people in ministry. You just don't do it. And yet, people do. And you don't want to be around them, honestly. Why? Because you'll end up moaning, critical, complaining, and seeing the negative in anything, everything. It's really easy to see the negative in things. It's much harder to see the positive in things. So if you're hanging around with moaning, complaining, critical blowing off at everything, firing off at everything, calling every, every well-meaning Christian a heretic, then you won't end up in a good place yourself. So we don't want to get involved in that. We, we, don't, we don't want to criticize individuals. It, it's okay to discuss things. It's okay to say things like, well, I, I don't agree with that. That's not right. But when you, you attack people, that's, that's not right. So don't hang around with people that do that, you know. Be a kind Facebook user. Be a kind Instagram user. Unfollow them. Don't unfriend them. If you unfollow, you don't have to listen to them, but they still think you're their friend. So there's a, there's a chance they'll talk to you and you can change them. Yeah? Okay. 
So what did, what did Paul, what was his wisdom on this? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, imitate me like I imitate Christ. So what we're looking for in order to um, sustain a faith that outlasts and develop faith that outlasts is people where you can see Christ in them. And when you can see Christ in them, you're hanging around them. Because they'll show you how to imitate Christ. Yeah? Now, what they're not doing is drawing you to them. They're drawing you to Christ. So you want to be seeing more of Christ in a person's life. Let me ask you an, an, another question, because I'm, I'm going to challenge you on a few things, make you think of a, a few perspectives this morning. Are the people that you hang around with listen, or, or are listening to, because it's not just the people we hang around to, we listen to a lot of people, don't we, on TV, on the internet, um, all sorts of places. We, we listen, we take in a lot of stuff because we, we don't guard what we take in. So we listen to a lot of people. Some are close, some not. But here's the question you should ask yourself. Is what I'm listening to carrying a spirit of fear or a spirit of faith? Because it carries one of the two. And, and you want to be listening to a spirit of faith. Now, what do I mean by spirit of fear? I could tell you that for the next five hours, but let me just give... To make it simple for you, listen to the news, you'll see what it is. Read a newspaper, you see what spirit fears. Be because everything is going to go bad. Everything is in turmoil, everything is a crisis, everything's a mess. This is going to happen. You know, we've, what have we got? Project Fear at the moment, version two about Brexit. We, we even blatantly call it Project Fear and things like that. Because people who do not know Christ and do not know how to walk in faith, carry a spirit of fear. Because why do they carry a spirit of fear? Because they have no hope if things go bad. They, they have nothing to turn to if things go bad. So the only thing they can do is dwell on what might go bad and try to avoid as much of it as they can. And so... What do we, when we listen, do we listen to a spirit of fear or do we listen to a spirit of faith? You know, the, one of the ways, I, I get all spiritual on you now, one of the ways you can tell a real prophetic voice is that a real prophetic voice, one of its elements, not, not that I wouldn't just define it like this, but they carry a spirit of faith. They carry a spirit of victory. They don't speak fear into your life. Because fear is the opposite of faith. They're like two opposite forces. Fear pushes one way, faith pushes, uh, faith pushes the other way. And you want to be on the faith side and building your faith side. And so how do you do that? Well, the first thing is, you know, as I said that... Um, I might go off piste a bit than what I planned, but it comes back to that thing I said at the start in that the grace of God, you know, what we see in our life, what Christ has done for us, is a manifestation of something even greater. You see, 
we don't, we don't just believe because of what Christ did for us. We believe and fall in love with Christ because we know he loves us. So he, what he's done for us is a manifestation or a result of the fact that he loves us and he values us. Now, stuff will try and convince you in, in a world that, that, that doesn't understand and through an enemy that doesn't want you to know it, stuff will try and convince you that God's not there for you, that he's not working in this. And, and that brings in fear and anxiety because if he's not working, it just leaves it down to you. And we all know that we're not up to it, don't we? Yeah? Life's just too complicated and too fast and too difficult these days. It just is. And we, we, people muddle through the best they can, but... You don't want to muddle through the best you can. You want to come out better than you started. A better person, a stronger person, a healthier person. And so, you, you know, you, you want to um, be building that force of faith in your life. And to do that, you've got to rest it on some firm foundations. And you don't want um, to connect to fear. Um, here's an example of this. I think, I think I've got these verses. Uh, Job 1.5. Who remembers Job? Okay. Job, it, you know, we talk a lot, people, believers talk a lot about Job. Um, and and you, can, you can get really confused about what it's all about because people uh, will quote bits of Job and they'll go, there you are, there you are, there you are. And yet, you know, not everything in the Bible is God. You've got to understand this. Not everything in the Bible is God. The Bible accurately reports what people say, but a lot, quite a lot of the Bible is actually just reporting what is human wisdom. And so when you get to Job, Job and his friends, they come out with all sorts of stuff, and at the end of Job, God says... You spoke without understanding. You didn't know what you were talking about. You're all wrong. So we don't quote Job, what he said, as good stuff, do we? And yet, we will perfectly happily, not in this church, thankfully, but we'll perfectly happily sing songs like, you give and take away. You send tragedy into my life, God. No, he doesn't. Job said that. God told him he was wrong. You know, we, we've got to understand how the word works. And, you know, if God says something wrong, I'm going to take him at his word. I'm not going to put my, pin my faith on what Job says. Because Job had a problem. And Job's problem was he had no covenant with God. I don't know if you know. I mean, I know Job's in the middle of the Old Testament. But actually, Job is the first book written. It's, it's the oldest. This is a man who has no covenant with God. He, he's in fear for what, will, what his kids are doing, what they're up to. He knows there's a God out there. He's heard of a God out there. And out of his fear for what God might do, he does sacrifices every day in case his kids are overstepping the mark and doing some terrible stuff. That's his motivation. And so it says, when the days of feasting run their course, Job would send and sanctify them, and he'd rise early in the morning, offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, may be, not definitely, I don't know they have, but just in case my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, this job dig regularly. 
Now, what happens? Job has a picture of God that God is an angry God who is out to get them, and that if he doesn't do enough sacrifices to buy God off, God will punish his sons and bring his wrath down on them all. That is absolutely remarkable because that is long before the law is ever given. God is still operating under covenant of mercy and grace. I don't know if you realize that. Law didn't come till Moses. This is absolutely a long time before Moses. This is before Abraham. God doesn't even have a people for himself at this stage. I don't know where he got those ideas from. But it's not God. Because, you know, people go around murdering at this time, like Cain. And all God does is put a mark on his head to protect him. Because he's a God of grace. But he's got a picture of God that is wrong. And then, and that allows the enemy to be active in his life. And so what happens? The thing that I feared has come upon me. Well, the thing that we fear still comes upon us because we step out of grace and faith and interfere. And that gives the enemy leverage to play in our lives. So we, we want to be faith. Where should I go now? Let me, let me, let me do a story. Let me focus on a story. I, I, haven't, I haven't got it up there. I just grabbed it as I was coming out this morning. Um. I was, I was thinking about this, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll just think we might get there this morning, and we have. Um, I'm in Mark chapter 5. You, 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 can, you can go to it, because they're not going to come up on there, because they're not on my verses that we find. It's a story that many of you will know. It's about the healing of Jairus' daughter. And we're on Mark chapter 5, verse 21, I'm starting at. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when Jairus saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Okay, so that's what you would expect, isn't it? Now, what happens is Jesus gets delayed on the way. Other events happen. The crowd presses around him. There's another miracle happens. There's a controversy, a debate around that miracle. And we get to verse 35, and we, we see that something terrible's happened. The daughters died. So while he was still speaking, that's explaining the previous thing that they were all arguing and con controversying about, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher further? See a couple of things here. Is it any more difficult for Jesus to sort this situation than it was when she was ill on the point of death? Because both require a miracle, don't they? 
You know, sometimes we, we get this idea that God fixes colds, but he can't do anything about terminals. And that's just wrong. You know, we've, we've, in a, a life of faith life, we've seen lots of people heal from stuff that's not healable. And so what this tells me is that what the doctors say isn't final. Because, you know, these people are coming with this report and, and they're, basically they're saying, it's all over, guys. This is the final report. There's nothing Jesus can do. And when we develop and walk in a faith that outlasts, we have to get an attitude that the news is not final. It's just an opportunity for a great miracle. As soon as Jesus heard the word was, that was spoken, he said to the ruler of sin, the synagogue, fear not, believe only. So you can see there's those two alternative forces in play. Fear and believe. And Jesus is going, this isn't the time to get over into fear. This isn't the time when you get on your own reasoning, you listen to all the, all, what everybody is saying and let that breathe fear in your heart. This is not that moment. Because it, it's really interesting, isn't it, that, that Jesus doesn't say, no, she's not dead. Or, it's okay, I'm going to fix it. What does he say? He says, don't fear. Why? Because fear will force out faith. And so we have to be really careful that we keep our eyes on Jesus when faith tries, uh, fear tries to butt in. There's something you can do with fear. You can butt it out. And it's, it's like this. My daughter, your daughter is dead, but Jesus is on the way. My situation is like this, but Jesus is, uh, is working on it. My situation is like this. This is what's happening in my body. But we've prayed about it, so Jesus is working on it. You, you, you use your butt. Fear not, believe only. Now, Jesus then does something really interesting. He deals with fear. Because Jesus has to handle this situation, not only the people, he has to handle it for himself. And Jesus has also heard that report that she's dead. So, Jesus has to guard his own heart, doesn't he? Because he's, he's trying to show us how this works. Imitate me like I imitate Christ. We're trying to imitate Christ. So, Jesus went through all these things so we could see how he handled them. And what does he do? He permits no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Now, don't you think that's really interesting? Because there's nine disciples aren't going with him. I don't know if you've noticed that before, but nine of them have gone for the she's deadline. And he, and he doesn't want to be listening to it. So he takes three. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And he comes out to the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw tumult to those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. 
Now, in those days, they were pretty good at working out somebody was dead. And the reason they were pretty good at working out somebody was dead is it was hot. There was no sanita not much sanitation, and they had to bury bodies quickly. So you had to be kind of certain in that sort of situation that they were actually dead before you buried them. So they knew what they were doing. She is dead. What is Jesus doing? He's countering it. He's speaking faith. He's speaking his own faith. I'm not going to accept she's dead. She's alive. As far as I'm concerned, where, what I see, what I see is she's alive. You see, we look not what is seen, but what is unseen. We look not at what is in front of us. We look at the promises of God and what he has to say about it. And so Jesus starts to say this. He said, why make this commotion weak? The child's not dead, but sleeping. What do they do? What do the people there do? They ridicule him and laugh at him. That's what it says. They ridiculed him and laughed at him. Here's the thing about being people who walk in faith and having faith that outlasts. The world is going to laugh at you. People you work with are going to laugh at you. Your neighbours are going to laugh at you. Other Christians who don't know how to do this are going to laugh at you. They're going to say, that doesn't work. Oh, I don't agree with all that sort of stuff. Oh, you don't want to go near them. They're all strange. They're them faith people. Well, I'd rather be a faith person than an unbelief sort of people. Wouldn't you? I don't think, I don't think Christians are, are called to walk in unbelief. So if you're not a faith person, what are you? An unfaith person, is that a word? Unfaith. You don't want to be an unfaith person, do you? You want to be a faith person. That, isn't that what we aspire to? Yeah. I mean, like, if, if we believe in Jesus and all, that, all that's changed is we now call ourselves by a different name, we call ourselves Christians, what's the point of that? If we say all we've got to run on is our own reasoning and what everybody else says, what's the point of that? We could do that before we were believers. We're supposed to be faith people. We're supposed to be word people. You know, I, I love like Kim's enthusiasm for the Bible school and things because, you know, over the years we've had a few people and they've said, well, I don't need any more word. I just want experiences. I don't need any more word. I just, I just need to, to soak some worship music. I don't need word. So I'm not coming on Sundays anymore because I don't need it. That's just stupid. It's just stupid because it's the word that breeds faith. And, it, and it's not like you can't go on what you heard 20 years ago. It's got to be now. Now faith. Real now faith. And, and the only way you have faith is to keep hanging around the word and keep reading the word and putting it in you and then the Holy Spirit will take it and bring it alive when you need it. You can't bring alive dead word or secondhand word or regurgitated word. It's got to be your word. And that, that's how he does it. And so they ridicule and laugh at him. You see, Jesus, um, Paul says, popped in my Paul says that that people of this world can't understand the things that spiritual people do. Why? Because it's foolishness to them. They think you're crazy to think that God can step in and he can change this. And 
And when Paul said that, he was talking about believers, not, well, Christians, people who were saved, not people who weren't saved. You know, he's talking about carnal Christians. They're going to think, they, they can't understand what you're saying. And, and more so, people in the world can't understand what you're talking about. Because the kingdom doesn't work according to the word. World. If it did, it would be the world. But it's not. It's the kingdom. And it works by its own principles. And so, so what, what Jesus, they ridicule and laugh at Jesus. What does he do? He says, I'm not listening to that. I'm not hanging around with these people. So he kicks them out. Now, we can go all heebie-jeebie, ubbly-bubbly, spiritual when we get to this. And then people, ah, oh, but brother, there was an atmosphere of unbelief. So Jesus couldn't do anything. No. So we need to change the atmosphere, pray against him. No. Because that's not what Jesus does. He kicks him out because they're laughing at him. And he goes, I'm not having this. This isn't really helping, is it? There's a dead girl here. You're not helping. Get out. I'm sorry to be blunt, but Jesus was kind of a blunt bloke. He was kind of blunt because he knew what he was doing. And he said, it's not good. You're not helping. All you're doing is upsetting people. Now get out. It's not, Jesus is going, I don't, I'm not going to hang around that and listen to that. He's protecting his own heart, but he's protecting everybody else as well. There's nothing worse than praying for somebody and having three people stood next to you and saying, you don't know what you're doing, it's not going to work. That's just not helpful. It's just not helpful at all, is it? So he puts them all outside. He took the father and the mother and the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he raises it from the dead. Okay. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. That we have to guard ourselves against fear. And a large part of against guarding ourselves against fear is what we listen to. And so we counteract fear with two things. We remind ourselves of how much God loves us. First letter of John says that perfect love casts out fear. It drives it out. So you don't you don't like go against fear. What you do is you you build yourself up, reminding yourself how much God loves you, looking at all all the situations that you've come through before when He was there for you, and saying He's got, He's done it before, He'll do it again. He He loves me. He died for me. He died for me on the cross, and He's not going to let me down now if He would do that then. You know, he did that for me when I didn't want to know him. The whole world didn't want to know about him. The whole world was rebelling against him, and yet he came and died on the cross for them at that point because he loved them that much. He's not upset because I forgot to say good morning, love, when I got up out of bed this morning to my kids or the, or the husband or the wife or whatever. He, that, that's not going to stop him doing anything. So... He loves you, and it doesn't change. You can't change the way God loves you. I don't know if you've thought about that. You can't. You see, because from the minute Jesus died on the cross, his love for you was without condition. 
Because Jesus met all the conditions. It's got nothing to do with what you do right or wrong. Why? Because Jesus paid for all the wrongs. And God said, I've forgotten them. I've, I've removed them from my memory banks. As far as east is the west, I've removed them. What, what, what is it to do with? It's the amount that you know you're loved has to do with the amount you're able to receive that love. And we receive that love by reminding ourselves of how much Jesus loved us on the cross. We look at Jesus, we see the way he reacts, see the way he do stuff, and we just let ourselves fall in love with him. And that forces out fear. You see, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And, and, and you have to do this. You, you know, these things don't work by accident. They work because we're purposeful about them. We can't be lazy believers. That that doesn't exist in in the kingdom. We have to be purposeful about going about these things and recognize what's going on, how how the dynamics of the situation work. So that's the first thing you, you, you can do about fear. The second thing is... You go to the word and let the Holy Spirit change you. You, you work on your own heart. And, and the way, way you do that is you get the word in there. And you speak the word out of there. You see, however much you might like it to, the words in the Bible aren't ever going to change. Because God put them there intentionally. And he put them there so we could read them and believe them. But he also says that the word is much more than just reading or believing. He said it's alive. The word of God is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. And it's able to discern what's going on in your heart, show you what's going on in your heart, and divide it and show you what is flesh and what's spirit. Hebrews 4.12 tells you that. Go with me to, um, I'm just going to do this one last verse. I don't think it's on the, on the slides. John chapter 6. And I'm going to start at verse 60. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who could understand it? So basically, Jesus had got himself a big crowd, you know, he got his revival going. People were following him around the world thing. And he said to them, if, if you can't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you, you, you can't enter into, into my kingdom. And so they all disappeared again. Because they said, well, that, that's a, that's a this guy's gone weird. That's a really difficult thing to do, isn't it? How do I eat his blood body and drink his flesh? Because they didn't understand what's going to happen. Why? Because they were hangers-on, not those who were listening. Because Jesus had explained to them what was going to happen, but they hadn't been listening. They were there for the good times. They were there to see the miracles. They were there for, you know, a day out with the kids. But they hadn't been listening, because if they'd been listening, they'd know that Jesus had said, I'm going to lay my life down for you. So this is our saying, you can understand. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, these disciples are even saying this, complained about this, he said to them, 
Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In other words, what he's saying is you have to think spirit. You have to think spiritual things, not like according to your flesh. So when you see me hanging on a cross, you've got to remember that ultimately this ends with me ascending into heaven in glory. Now, if you just focus as me dead on a cross, you won't be able to see that. That's what he's telling him. You need to think spiritually that this isn't limited by what's in that, the natural. The spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. This is why you can't say, I don't need more word. I've just got enough words for that, that I need. Let me first caveat that. You don't need more information. There are I, I, I guarantee you virtually every uh, believer in this room is way overtrained for anything that God ever asked them to do. Knows much more information than they'll ever need and they're still doing nothing with it. Why? Because it's not information we need. It's not quantity. It's what the Holy Spirit does with what we've got. And it's the heart that we plant the word into that matters. And so what, what happens here, and I, I'll get technical on you. Okay, I'm going to use two Greek words, because this is my last point. I'm going to finish with this. Two Greek words, logos, rhema. Both are translated word, the word in the Bible. Logos is information, principles, Keys, structures, steps, all that sort of stuff, whatever you would think about it. The Bible is full of logos. Jesus says something amazing. He says, my words are spirit and life. What's he saying? He's saying it's not just words on a page we're dealing with. It's not just principles we're dealing with. It's not just information we're dealing with. We're dealing with something that is sacred and spiritual. So when you're reading the word, you don't go to it as, what can I find out that's going to improve my knowledge banks of how to be a great Christian? What you're doing is you're going to it and you're saying, I want this word to change me. I want this word to impact my life. And I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to read these verses. Even if I think I don't really understand them today, I'm going to read them and I'm going to believe that these are going to change my life when they need to change my life. When, 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 when I need them, they're there. Okay? And Jesus is saying that the, the way the word of God works is like this. There's spirit and the life. So if you, if you use the right approach to them, they give you life. They change things because they're spirit. It, this doesn't work according to logic. You, you cannot... Build relationship with God by reason. That's not that it's unreasonable. It's just you can't enter into the depths of a supernatural relationship by natural means. You enter into a supernatural relationship and, and experience the supernatural love of God by spiritual means. 
And so you need, what Jesus is saying is you need the word. You've got to understand that there's something in this word that is going to make this happen. This word is going to change your life. Because it has life in it. Why does it have life in it? Because it was spoken as spirit. It was spoken by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just words on a page, it's spirit and life. Now, how many of you, how many of you seen any of the uh, DC TV series called The Flash? Or Legends of Tomorrow? Okay. Now, you got like, where's he going with this? No, I am not going to run around the room at ultra speed. No. In, in this, this thing called The Flash, in this series, there is another character called Firestorm the Nuclear Man. Okay? Just go with me on this. Firestorm the Nuclear Man. Firestorm the Nuclear Man, basically, the, this, they, they, get caught in this part, they all get caught in this particle accelerator accident at the start. <laughs> Okay, and basically, there's, uh, there's this guy that was working on this project called Ronnie Raymond, and there's another professor called Dr. Martin Stein. And as a result of this particle accelerator blowing up, exploding, they got fused together. So two people into one. And when they're together, because it's an unstable nuclear reaction they have kind of like nuclear power. That's why he's called Firestorm the Nuclear Man. He can affect the atoms around him. Okay? And so the, the Flash's boss, being kind of smart, invents a device that separates them. When they separate, they have no power because it's stable. But when they combine, it's unstable and it has power because it's the interaction of the two of them together. Okay, you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. So, the word is spirit spoken, it's life. When you were born again, the Holy Spirit came to what? Live in you. He became one with your spirit. What is the Holy Spirit? He is spirit. Yeah? You've got word, which is spirit and life. You've got the Holy Spirit. You put the two together by faith and you get a reaction. You get a nuclear explosion that goes off inside of you. The Holy Spirit takes the spirit part of the word that's in you brings it together, and it comes alive. It releases life. That is called a Rima word. It's a nuclear explosion, and it needs a catalyst to make it happen. It needs something that joins the two, and that's called faith. Just believing that's the way it is, because God said that's the way it is. So if I get the word in me, the Holy Spirit's going to take that, he's going to bring it alive, and at that moment, I will see things I never believed possible. He's going to bring life to me. So there's even like spiritual things in Firestorm and Nuclear Man. I recommend him to you wholly. <laughs> now, let me just finish with this. Because 
I don't want you to think that either is one more important than the other. You need both Logos and Rima. Because if you don't understand how the kingdom works, if you don't understand how covenant works, you're not even on ground one. If you're just over here with Rima and nothing to attach it with, nothing, you, there's all sorts of things that might be kicking off in your life, but you've got no understanding and they'll become totally dysfunctional. That, that, you, you, can have, you can have genuine reasonable words and still be a mess as a Christian because you've got no foundation to attach it to. You've got no logos. You don't understand how God works. You don't understand how the kingdom operates. You, you don't understand how it all comes together. And so it's a mess. And we've all seen messy Christians, haven't we? Who, who have these most amazing things that they hear from God, and yet their lives are a total mess, and they never do anything about it. And they're like super spiritual sensitive, and yet they never grow. Why? Because it's all Rima. They, they, they don't understand how God's kingdom works. They don't, they, they don't think they need the word. They, they, they sort of disparage the word, and it produces a mess. Equally over here, if it's all Logos, we're boring. Boring, reason-filled Christians who look very solemn when they speak. And if they're trained, they know to go up and down <laughs> at the right moments. And if you fall asleep, They'll fall asleep too. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have one without the other. You need both. The Logos gives you the understanding so that when God sets you alight, you know what to do with it. So the fifth thing that faith rests on is Rima words and Logos words, both together. Amen. Okay, let's stand. Because I'll finish this series for now. Just want to make, just want you to make, for us to finish today, I just want to make a few declarations of us. So I want you to do it. It's not very long. But it's just a good starting point. Follow me. Really loud, because, you know, I think you've been very quiet today. I believe that God is who he says he is. I believe that God is who he says he is. Therefore, he can do what he says he can do. And because he's God, he will do what he says he will do. I believe, I believe what God says about me. I believe I am who he says I am. I'm becoming who he wants me to be. I can have what he says I can have. I can do what he says I can do. And I can change what he says I can change. So I'm, so I'm choosing to keep my eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus. And, off fear. and off fear and off the world, and off the world. 
and off my circumstances, and off all the other stuff that's going on or will go on. And I will have some victories in my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just uh, one last thing, you know. I can't remember who it was, but like somebody said to me, how long, how long do you have to stand? How long do you have to stand? Well, it's kind of the wrong question because it's more like this, that if you're willing to stand forever, you won't have to stand very long. That's how, that's how faith works. If you're willing to stand forever, you won't have to stand very long. It, it, it's, you know, how long to see your answer? It's not predictable. But if you're willing to stand forever, you won't have to stand very long. Amen.